If you would take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at a couple of paragraphs this morning. Verses 35 to 49. Verses 35 to 49. And the title of today's message is The Best Version of Myself. Say that with me. The best version of myself. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars, uh, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Amen. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, pay attention now, let us also, I'll explain why I said that a little bit later, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is God's word. The best version of myself. You know Jesus Christ is committed to that. He is committed to making you the best version of yourself. He is committed to making me the best version of myself. He has the power to do this. Imagine. 
the very best version of yourself in terms of your thinking, your speaking, your acting, your thinking. Instead of negative, cynical, suspicious, arrogant, and angry thinking, you have the power to think peaceful, forgiving, generous thoughts. And what about your speaking? Instead of speaking careless words, you have power to speak well-timed words, words full of grace, words full of truth. You have the power to speak words to two people and not about people behind their backs. You have the power to know when not to speak as well as what to say when you speak. (laughs) And then your actions. Instead of self-serving actions, you have the power to act sacrificially in a servant manner and to do so joyfully. You have the power to act in a way that says, I see you, I care about you, I love you. Imagine that best version of yourself. And so when I am the best version of myself in my thinking and speaking and acting, you know, these are Christ's light traits that I carry with me. And Christ is committed to the very best version of myself. And his idea of making me the best version of myself does not include a moral improvement plan. Rather, it involves wholesale resurrection. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is not a life coach. No offense to life coaches. He's not a life coach to check in with me weekly to see how I'm doing with my goals. Nor is Jesus a consultant. No offense to consultants. But he's not a consultant to help me strategize for self-improvement. He's not. He is a sovereign king with the power to resurrect me into the likeness of his glory, and his glory is the best version of myself. I smell a big idea. Here it is. Jesus has the power to change me into the best version of myself. There it is. That's what these verses say. Which means we cannot become the best version of ourselves by ourselves. We need help. Jesus is help. And these verses show us how he intends to help. These verses give us the process and the product of him transforming me into the best version of myself. And and that's what I want us to see here this morning in verses 35 to 41 in that paragraph I want us to consider the process, that is, how Jesus plans to use his power to change us. It's, I never would have thought of this. It's, no one 
would have. It has to come from heaven. But, it, but the process is what Paul explains in verses 35 to 41. And then the product, what we will look like when the process is complete, is what Paul tells us in verses 42 to 49. And, and, and I'll throw in a bonus point for us here. The bonus point is what we'll see in verse 49. Here's what, here's, here's what we need to do about it. See, this is the relevancy for us. Hold on to that for just a moment. Process, product, bonus point. <laughs> Process. Process in verses 35 and following. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul says in verse 36, you foolish person. Now, that's not very nice. I mean, he's, you know, an apostle. I mean, how do you expect to grow a church if you keep calling them fools? Well, now, um, let's keep in mind that we are reading someone else's mail. All right? That's what we're doing. 1 Corinthians was a letter, and we're... we're we're reading someone else's mail. And I want you to notice Paul's rhetoric. It is a skillfully worded rebuke. Paul, Paul calls out an anonymous someone, all right? Uh, and, and that anonymous someone is saying, well, how's this going to work? Paul, Paul, so Paul, Paul replies to that anonymous person, think, fella, think. He, he, Paul is critiquing the Corinthians who were, who were arrogant. Not all of them, but some of them were. Some of them thought they had arrived. Uh, some of them fawned after the entertainment rhetoric of the day. Some felt superior because their consciences were stronger than other believers in the church, and that's why they could eat idle meat. And Paul talks about that in verses in chapters 8, 9, and 10, and others couldn't, and they just kind of felt superior. And now these same folks are parroting Greek philosophy of the day, and that philosophy entailed the separation between body and spirit. And the, you know, and, and the, the assumption in Greek philosophy was, well, the body's bad and the spirit's good. The body's bad. Corinth was only 50 miles from Athens, and in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul preached the resurrection, the, the Athenians had never heard of that before. And some, some of them came to Christ. Others mocked him. Well, the power of culture had taken over some of the Corinthians, and Paul's confronting them on that. Question, question, relevancy here. How aware are we of culture's power to affect our thinking? When you watch TV or read the news, can you tell the difference between reporting information and promoting a worldview? Are, are you thinking there? See, see that, that screen that you see is exactly what the camera wants you to see. Okay? And... And, and our world possesses a worldview that does not factor God into the equation. 
And that's what Paul is calling out concerning this nameless someone. Paul uses the word fool in its purest biblical sense. The fool, Paul is not referring to intellectual capacity. By fool, Paul is referring to spiritual deficiency. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And Paul replies, the reason why some of you Corinthians are cynical about the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, a bodily resurrection, they just couldn't wrap their heads around that. The reason why the Corinthians are so cynical about it is they have failed to factor God's power into the equation. Does God have the power to do this? Well, of course he does, Paul says. Go outside. Verse 36 What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. See what Paul does? Do you see what Paul does here? Paul utilizes the science of his day to explain the world God is refashioning. So, brothers and sisters, science and faith are not combatants. They're colleagues. They give meaning to each other. And here, Paul argues that science helps us understand biblical truth. The visible, Paul says, helps us comprehend the invisible. And Paul claims that God's power to resurrect and transform you is similar to that in which a seed produces a plant or a tree. So in verses uh, 36 to 38, Paul argues from common sense observation from corn seed to corn stock, what appears impossible to common sense, a resurrected body. Paul says, think, you don't plant corn stocks, do you, farmers? Are you going to plant a corn stock? No. No, that's no. I, I'm a, I'm a an urban oaky, and I know that. You plant seeds. Different kinds of seeds yield different kinds of plants, and each has been determined by the sovereign power of God. And those seeds have to die now. Of course, we in the 21st century have very specific technology and knowledge of science that tells us that the seed is actually alive when planted. But as far as the naked eye is concerned, that seed appears lifeless. When planted, the mysterious power of resurrection, though, takes over. And we're going to see this truth in the next few weeks, won't we? Don't you get excited about that? Really? I, I, I mean, we just live next door to this farmland that reminds me of the new heavens and the new earth all throughout the year. You know, it's spring, it's planting, it's warmer weather. And what is planted is done in the hope of a bountiful and ripe harvest. And, and, and here's the deal. This is, this is it. 
if you had not previously seen a stalk of corn or a soy plant or a cucumber or tomato or a daffodil or a tulip or an azalea, how would you know what it would become by just examining the seed? There's so much potential in what appears to be a lifeless seed, but then the power of God takes over. And Paul says, that's the process for your body. And Paul says, I'm not done yet. Verse 39, Paul continues his argument. Paul says that not all flesh is the same. Uh, Birds are one kind of flesh designed for flight. Fish, one kind of flesh designed for the sea. Animals for their realm. And humans, too. God has the power to create a body suitable for flourishing in its designated environment. And in verses 40 to 41, God has the power to create various bodies in space. The sun, the moon, the stars, all vary and display different types of glory. Glory, doxa, doxology, doxao, to seem or to appear. And then you, you see it and it appears and, and it, it's substantive. It, it, it is weighty and density. Glory has to do with density and stuff. and That varies depending on the body. Different bodies display different glories. And some of you are thinking right now, where have I read these verses before? Where have I read these verses before? These verses Paul are speaking about in Corinthians remind me of someplace else in Scripture. Where have I seen these images of flora and fauna, plants and animals and sun and moon and stars? Oh, wait a minute. I know Genesis 1 and 2. Paul argues that just as God, by his power, created the heavens and the earth, the power to generate life from a seed of corn, the power to generate flight from the body of a bird, the power to hang the sun and moon and stars and, and, and put the earth on just the appropriate axis angle to receive enough sun and enough uh, warmth and enough cold weather, God has the power to raise his son from the grave, and he has the power to resurrect and transform your body into glory. That's what Paul's telling the church. So just go outside, and you can see evidence of what God is going to do to your body because of what he's done to the bodies of nature. Your destiny, our destiny, church family, is an unceasing existence in a glory body, reigning with Christ in God's great universe. That's our destiny. Process, resurrection. Resurrection. Product, oh my goodness. Glory body. Glory body. And that's the second paragraph here. You say, well, what the, what, how, what, what's that going to look like? What's my glory body going to look like? 42 and 43. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown 
is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. See, Paul compares what is sown and what is raised. Paul compares this body now with that body then. And this body now, Paul says, is earthy. Earthy. It's perishable. Sown in dishonor. It's weak. The natural bodies we now have are animated and driven by an earthy environment. But make no mistake, that environment hasn't been infected by the fall. Genesis chapter 3, our spiritual ancestors fell to sin, and this world has been broken. And Paul talks about that, the brokenness and how that it affects the body. He uses some of the same adjectives earlier in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13, when he says, To this present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. And when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's life in the earthy body. And you don't have to read beyond the front pages of the newspaper to lament over stories of perishable, dishonorable, frail, dishonored, frail lives. Lives reviled, persecuted, and slandered. Lives senselessly taken. Lives wasted. Lives treated like the scum of the world. From Minneapolis to Chicago to Indianapolis to Windsor, Virginia, to Atlanta, Georgia. Is it not clear that our world is broken, church family? Broken by the devaluing of human life? Broken by the sin of racism? Broken by the evil of brutality? Broken by viewing others as invisible and so broken that it's in denial of its brokenness? And and my heart particularly laments with my brothers and sisters in Christ who feel neither safe nor seen in our society because of their skin tone. And with with our black and brown brothers and sisters, we must stand with our Asian brothers and sisters and rise in solidarity with our siblings in Christ over the microaggressions and anti-Asian sentiment in our community. And Some in our own church family have told me how personally weary and afraid they feel, especially for their elders and children. The way of the world will never give us the best version of ourselves. Jesus is the only cure. Jesus has the power. And we need an intervention. And one day, these scriptures promise Jesus will intervene. Jesus says, you matter to me. Your bodies matter to me. You are seen by me. 
And therefore, our king promises a glory body. And Paul describes that body as incorruptible, honorable, powerful, visible. A body both immune from the physical diseases such as COVID and the societal diseases such as envy and pride and partiality and hate and greed. Verse 44 says, It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, spiritual does not mean immaterial. It refers to a body, a body that is animated and fueled and driven and led and sustained by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is a body equipped to function in an environment where the chief animating force is neither oxygen or water or food or warmth or light. Rather, the chief animating force, the chief animating person is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And the life that comes, the product of that kind of life is the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul speaks of in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you imagine that world? Families not torn apart. Marriages not broken up. Jobs that are meaningful, cities at peace. Can you imagine an interaction with someone and then there's no defensiveness? Can you imagine a world where your self-esteem is not contingent on the number of Facebook likes? Can you imagine a world where you don't interpret disagreements as personal offenses? Where you're no longer critical and judgmental? Where you are unoffendable? where you have no difficulty empathizing and entering into the world of others, a world of love, a world where you are noticed and you notice others as image bearers of the Almighty, a world, according to 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You imagine that kind of a world, church family. Paul says, that kind of a world can only come by means of a resurrection. Verse 45 says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, or the last Adam, well, Adam means man, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. So whereas the first Adam received life, the last Adam is the giver of life. And note the order of verse 46. It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So the natural body comes before the spiritual body. So Adam had a natural body consisting of the, you know, periodic elements, 
of the universe, chemists. Jesus, the last Adam, possesses a resurrection body consisting, and Paul can only say, of heaven. <laughs> you know, the, Adam, the first Adam had, was, consisted of the dust of earth. Jesus' resurrection body consisted of the stuff of heaven. Just, it's heaven stuff. And just as in this life, our bodies are made of the same elements as the first Adam, so in the life to come, our bodies will be made of the same heavenly substance as Jesus Christ. Why would God do this? Because He loves us. That's why. Because He loves us. It, God the Son entered our world and clothed Himself in dust and then died for our sins. Because the thing that keeps us from God is our sin. Jesus died for that, paid that penalty. God's a God of justice. And he will not turn, he not turn a blind eye to justice. So someone has to, someone has to compensate for my sin. And Jesus said, I will. I'll die for Randy's sin. And he died for our sins. And then God the Father raised him in glory, in a glory body. So that we might be raised in a glory body when we put our faith in him. And by grace, we will inhabit glory bodies when comes the new heavens and the new earth. Your life and my life are but a, 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 a vapor, you know, a vapor and then eternity. And uh, this body cannot survive in the new heavens and the new earth because it's not, not outfitted for that. But God's going to out. God's got a better suit, a glory body for the new heavens and the new earth. So, so listen, the point of Christianity is not for us to, 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 to go to heaven when we die, but, but that God might bring the life of his son to the new heavens and the new earth here. And one day, Jesus will appear and, and, so, and his prayer will be fulfilled. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, Jesus will appear in power and overwhelm this earth with his glorious life and remake everything in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, the psalmist says, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. And look at verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That, church family, is the story of each and every one of the 130 funerals I've done here at Winds Road Christian Church. That's the story right there. As was the man of dust, 
so also those who are of the dust. But the vast majority of those funerals have been for my brothers and sisters in Christ, which makes the last part of verse 48 all the more meaningful. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Is that not a sweet verse? Stephanie is of heaven. Mary is of heaven. Bob is of heaven. Paul, Pug, Edie, Faye, Winnie, Brent, Caleb, and on and on. They're of heaven. Church, God is not going to cheat you. He's not going to defraud us. Faith in Christ puts us in Christ, which means what is true of Christ is true of us. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. God, your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Process, the product. Jesus has the power to transform us into the very best version of ourselves. Hallelujah. Now here's the bonus point, and then I'll be done. It's verse 49. Some of you see the footnote, and the footnote in verse 49 is actually what I read because the 1 Corinthians, copies were made of it. They didn't have a photocopy machine back then. It had to be handwritten. And sometimes the scribes would, they'd be writing a word and they'd put in a, another letter. And the letter differentiation in the original language can make for the difference. And the most reliable manuscripts tell us that verse 49 can be read the following way. Let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's not just giving us information. He's also he's concluding with a challenge. He tells us what God has done, and then he's urging us toward a life based on what God has done. That's what he's doing throughout the entire chapter. In verses 1 through 10, Paul says, here's what God has done. God raised Jesus from the dead. And then in verse 11, Paul says, here's what we've done, and here's what you need to do. We preached and you believed. In verses 12 to 33, Paul says, Jesus was raised from the dead. You will be raised from the dead. And verse 34, Paul says, wake up. And now here in verses 35 to 48, Paul says, God has the power to change you into the best version of yourself. Then in verse 49, Paul says, start living the best version of yourself right now and your body will catch up. Let us bear the image of the man of heaven. Prepare now for the future that is to be. Start acting now like the resurrected person you're destined to be in the new heavens and the new earth. You don't have to wait till you get your glory body to begin acting like the king of glory. You have the power. You have the power now. 
because you have the down payment of the Holy Spirit in your life when you gave your life to Christ. So faith is bearing the image of Christ now. Faith is speaking now, thinking now, and acting now in the image of Christ. And if you want to know specifically what that looks like, Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, here's how you put on Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive and above all, put on love. The challenge that Paul puts before us is to conduct our lives in such a way that it gives evidence of the life to come. Treat human beings like image bearers of the Almighty. And when people begin asking questions like, what's different about you? How is it that the room becomes more peaceful when you enter it? How can you be so centered in these stressful times? How is it that people leave with more joy in their hearts because they've been with you? You can say, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe that, church family? God will not defraud us. He will raise us. Our destiny is an unceasing existence in a spiritual body reigning with Christ in God's great universe. What more can this life offer you? Can money surpass that? Can a promotion exceed that? Church family, don't you know? We will judge angels. You say, where did our crazy pastor get that idea? From 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. There's nothing an empty tomb can't fix. And ultimately, Jesus will reverse the effects of this world's brokenness. In fact, the beauty he recreates will surpass the brokenness we caused. And if there hadn't been the brokenness, there never would have been the beauty. The power of Christ's glorious resurrection arises from the weakness of his inglorious crucifixion. The resurrection's awe arises from the awfulness of the cross. Christ has the power to change us. Remember, oh, remember that when you see corn in a few weeks. And remember that he has the power to change your seed body into the stuff of heaven, the likeness of his glory body. And remember, because that's true, he wants us thinking, speaking, acting in his likeness now. Become now by grace what you're called to be. Church family, when you leave this room, take God's promise with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wow. God be praised.